So I'll start by saying the International Institute has done amazing work for this community for the last 100 years. And we may look at the St. Louis community and think that it's not inclusive enough, but it's hard to imagine where it would be without an organization like the International Institute. So where we are is as a result of the work that the International Institute has done. The different waves of immigrants that came here, whether it's from Europe, from Asia, they have all gone through the International Institute in one way or the other, and that has enabled them to really become part of this society. I, I see the International Institute not just playing a role for the International Institute and the people that we serve. I see the International Institute playing a role for the wider community. Welcome to St. Louis in Tune, where we size up current and historic events involving people, places, and things in areas such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. Our weekly podcast gives you the edge to live a more informed life. We discuss more than just St. Louis as we connect the Gateway City to our country's current cultural fabric and lives. I just want to remind you of an event happening next Saturday, the grand finale of the Festival of Nations, which is sponsored by the International Institute of St. Louis, is going to be held from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. at Nine Mile Garden in Afton. You can check that out. Go to festivalofnationsstl.com for more information on that. And in studio, we have Ari Obenson, who's president and CEO of the International Institute of St. Louis. Ari, welcome to St. Louis in Tune. Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. We're glad that you are here. And just to give a little background of Ari, he has been the president and CEO since about February. And previously, he was the CEO of Transformity LLC, a St. Louis-based consulting firm. He also previously served as Secretary General of Chesterfield-based Junior Chamber International, which provided young people opportunities in over 100 countries. And I looked this up because I didn't know it. He's a barrister of law, a member of the Cameroon Bar Association. A barrister, you correct me if I'm wrong, is you are the litigator. You're the one that argues the case. Is that correct? Yes, it, it is. Okay. All right. There's apparently... In the English system, there are people who write some things, and then there are people who, my so, words, argue yeah, them. Yeah, the barristers and the solicitors. Yeah. Okay, welcome to St. Louis in Tune again. And Ari, give us a little bit more background of what you bring to the Institute and, and what kind of uh, goals you have. Yeah. So first of all, I'm an immigrant to the St. Louis region. Even though I've been here for 19 years, I'm originally from Cameroon, and I moved here in 2002, and I've lived and worked in the region, mostly in, in West County. But in that period of time, I, my work was basically international development. I worked for five years as a director for growth and development in Africa and the Middle East, so building and developing the organization in Africa and the Middle East. And after that, I served as the executive director of, of Junior Chamber International, implementing strategy for the organization. So I was the development officer all over the world. And then after that, served as deputy secretary general and then secretary general of the organization. I have had the opportunity of traveling to last count about 106 countries. Wow. And in those countries, it was essentially traveling, walking with young people mm -hmm. around the world, helping them identify challenges within their communities and developing programs or projects to overcome those challenges. 
So I've spent a lot of time in multicultural settings, understand working with different people, different religious groups, different backgrounds. And and really developing and implementing strategy is key. And, And why is this key? Is because organizations usually formed around a mission and but that mission even though it doesn't change everything around organizations change so take the case of the international institute the institute has been around for a hundred years but community around the institute has been evolving and so strategy wise the institute has to also be evolving with changes that are taking place whether it's geopolitically whether it's regionally economically technologically as well Mm -hmm. And because I spent a lot of time developing and implementing strategy, especially for a global organization that's international in dimension across the world, I think that I acquired tremendous value in just understanding the dynamics of how the mission evolves right. with, with time. And I, that's one thing, one value that I think I'm going to bring to the International Institute, as well as just this vast knowledge of understanding diversity and multiculturalism. I really think what you said there, where many times missions stay the same, but everything is changing, rapidly changing around them, and you really have to adapt to what's going on and being able to accommodate, especially, and we'll get to this, the Afghanistan immigrant situation, but my question is, what are some things that were a, not necessarily an obstacle or a struggle, but things when you came to the States as an immigrant, hoops that you had to jump through or hurdles that you had to jump over that we're like, wow. Yeah, absolutely. So I say my my story is not as, as challenging as the people come we are seeing coming from Afghanistan or refugees who have gone through, spent many years in the camp, nothing near that. But every immigrant that comes to America, it's almost having a fresh start. And there are challenges which come with that. And I, my, the story I always tell people is that, first of all, when I came into St. Louis, being hired to come work in an organization that was at the time headquartered in, in Miami, Florida, which to an extent, the weather there is almost tropical. And I, for the two months that I was out there, it was okay. And then we moved to St. Louis. And I came in here in April of 2002 and rented a car from the airport and made it to the office. And by the time I got out of the office and looked outside, it had snowed. That was the first encounter with <laughs> snow. I had no idea what to do with right. the windshield. When it snows, I didn't know that you needed to scrape it or brush it. But those are very simple things. But the most uh, one that had an impact on me is just the fact that I came here with no credit history. Mm-hmm. So even renting a house was challenging to find rent, or which meant that I had to go look for somebody who could sign on right. the house, and which meant that person needed to have known me and trusted me. Right. So that's one challenge. Secondly, again, with no credit history, I was working in Chesterfield. It was not like today where you have Uber. It meant in Chesterfield there was just no other form of transportation at the time. You needed to have a car. And I, I recall buying a car from Lufus to at a 23% interest rate because that was the only way that I could get a car. And, and so basically paying almost one and a half times the cost of the car right. over the period of time that I had to pay for it. But I had to go through that to be able to establish a credit history. And I was lucky that I had a job. I had just come in that could help me pay that. Imagine those who don't who get here and still have to struggle through all these challenges. I could speak English, 
What about those who came in and couldn't speak English? I had just been able to uh, get through the driver's license mm -hmm. in itself, challenging. Mm -hmm. And when I say challenging, it's very, it's fascinating because we look at highways and, and it's normal here. It's not the same in many parts of the world. And so you have to actually unlearn if you were driving before to be able to learn. So there's so many hurdles that you have to go through in, in to be able to fit in, so to speak. So the, these hurdles, I, I wrote down a, a couple, as you said, them credit and language, and there's many others. Housing. You know, housing. What is the importance of the Institute in helping immigrants get through these hurdles? What exactly does the Institute do to help immigrants overcome these hurdles or go through these hoops or et cetera? Yeah. So at the International Institute, the, what we do is really we have programs that, are ident that have been developed to address some of these hurdles. Mm -hmm. So when a refugee arrives in St. Louis, the International Institute, a refugee, or the, let's take the case of the Afghans, because it doesn't all the time have to be a refugee. Let right. me call it an immigrant, right? right? Arrives in St. Louis. We pick them up at the airport. So we're there first to welcome. That's the first thing we do. Secondly, housing. We provide shelter in the form of household, provide a roof over the head. And so we have housing specialists at the International Institute that once we know there is an arrival, depending on the number, so if it's a family, is it a family of four, is it a family of two, we identify housing and we're able to provide them at least housing for the first three months of their stay here. Once we provide them housing, we make sure that housing is safe. We do a safety check. We, we, we show them around the things that they need to do mm -hmm. to make sure that they use house. So very simple things like the microwave, the toaster, and all of those right. things. We take the, them for granted. But Acclimate really, them to <laughs> exactly. life there. It's really important. And then we come back after a day or two just to check to make sure that everything is fine. We take them grocery shopping mm -hmm. to make sure that they have what they need to be able to at least uh, start life. We equip those housings. So mm -hmm. a team will take them, in some cases, actually to pick up furniture. We provide furniture in the housing, clothing, mm -hmm. especially depending on the weather and where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. We do an assessment, we bring them to the office, we do an assessment of several things, health, where they, you know, like a health check. We work with, with local partners, whether it's the city, to do that health assessment. And then we do other assessment, English language skills, what talents do you have? All with the goal of identifying the programs that they would fit in, because once that assessment is done, we develop a program for them whereas English language, basic English language, if they need it, but sometimes they may not need it. And then based on their job skills, we, we try to prepare them or match their skills with uh, local employers. And, uh, and then we try to do, we do all of this within the ninth, first 90 days of their arrival. Wow. Yeah. And banking and things like that? As well, we, based on the assessment, mm -hmm. We also have a community development corporation that really helps them with financial literacy, helping establish and build a credit where applicable also we provide small 
loans. We have also an incentive for saving schemes mm. that the Community Development Corporation that, that provides to them. So, so it's a whole comprehensive package that yes. should help the immigrant be able to get on there as soon as possible. But it doesn't end at the 90 days. So at the 90 days, that's when we, we are providing these resources. Mm-hmm. However, we maintain a relationship with them for a year and three years, right up to five years. And it would be various levels of engagement as they continue to progress within society. So it may not be that within the first 90 days they would want a small loan. So maybe a year down the road when they've had a better understanding of the opportunities here, then they would come back to us and say, I'm looking at this loan. And we even adapt programs. We have the interest-free loans for the Muslim population that doesn't believe in in paying interest. Mm -hmm. So we even design programs to match the different populations that come here. Because I imagine immigrants coming from different countries will have different needs, like you mentioned, Some one being language that comes to mind. Yeah. But the cultural acclimation of, of just getting an understanding of where we are in our culture, how do you deal with the, the vast amounts of different cultures around the world that come here? It's not like one size fits all. Yeah, absolutely not. And that's why at the International Institute we have a very diverse staff, right, that come from different parts of the world, um, just so that we can be able to bring that experience, that cultural experience to address what the need is in front of us. So I come from Africa, and I can tell you that credit, this is not a religious thing, this is not a... It's just a cultural thing that credit is not something that we look at as part of economic development. And it's probably because of the lack of access to it. Mm -hmm. So if somebody builds a house, they've actually built the house. They they own it when they finish building it. But people come here and they would have to change the way they understand this. Mm -hmm. And and really at the beginning, most people, uh, most immigrants would tell you, no, I don't want to, I don't want to take any credit. And, and you have to put them through a conversation. If you really want to succeed here, you may want to fi- find a way to establish a credit history. That makes so sense. So those are the kind of conversations that, say, the Community Development Corporation would have with them. And if a family comes over with children, you help them out to engage with the local school system, et cetera, like that? You're, you, yeah. you help that transition in that way? Yeah, absolutely. We have a great partnership with the St. Louis um, Public Schools. And so one of the things that we do as well is if there are children in the family, we enroll them in school as soon as possible. And sometimes if it's not, in, like during the summer, we actually kind of develop bridge programs, so programs that prepare them mm-hmm. For the school year, we also would develop also have just summer programs and mentorship programs for the young ones who are here right. in a new environment. How do we get them up to speed? That's great. <clears throat> you know, one of the things you mentioned, I can't imagine getting off an airplane and coming in, or, or a bus or a train and coming to a foreign city where you knew no one. It was total, you didn't know the language, but the fact that you meet them there ought to be very encouraging and heartwarming and just make them feel quite a bit more comfortable with what's going on and take the edge off of this transition. Has 
What has been the response when you've showed up at the airport and people are coming off? Obviously, you've prearranged those things. Yeah. They're coming in. They probably know you're coming. Yeah. But what are, what is some of the response when people get off the plane and they see you? And obviously, there's communication going on, maybe some communication issues going on. <laughs> I, can, I can tell you that it's relieving mm-hmm. for most of the people. Their journey has typically been one of uncertainty in most cases. Yes. That even as they are on that flight, they, 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 they're typically unsure of what happens at the other end because that's what sometimes for their, in their lives they've experienced for 10, 15, 20 years because sometimes they spend 10, 15, 20 years in these refugee camps before being lucky to be able to make it to, to, right. to America. So it almost seems on arrival here, knowing we finally made it, that we are not alone, that there are people here. And that's really the one of the primary rules mm-hmm. of the International Institute is, is just reassuring people who make it to St. Louis that they are not alone and that on this side of this their journey, we are going to be here with them. And even more relieving is if they are able to have a conversation with somebody in their own language. And that usually makes so much of a difference. That's huge. And you see it even in their conversations, right? They feel really comfortable having that conversation in their language, even when they understand English. It's more you can see from your own observation. They're really comfortable in their in their skin. But like somebody told me is that it's, it's a new journey mm-hmm. with new challenges. Mm-hmm. Very different from the one that they just left behind. Yeah. So that's usually the feeling. That I imagine some left their situation, it was okay, and some left and it was uh, a horrid kind of condition that they were leaving, which kind of takes me to an update on the plans for the immigrants coming from Afghanistan and yeah. the situation, the horrid situation that they are dealing with. And the in- International Institute has had a long history of helping immigrants come over in situations like that from Bosnia back uh, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. What, so what are some of the plans? What's an update on some of the plans for the immigrants from Afghanistan? Yeah. So we at the International Institute already in the thick of it. Where I, I tried to convey uh, at a press conference yesterday that it almost seems like the community is waiting for the Afghans to arrive, but they are already arriving here. This year already, we we, ha- we have received already 53 Afghans with this special immigrant visa status. So, mm-hmm. was the, pro- the so the process is on. We so our plan is that we have looked at capacity wise and said we have the capacity to be able to to resettle about 1,000 within the next year. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to resettle up to 1,000. It all depends on the circumstances. And when we made this assessment, we had no idea that Kabul was going to collapse in one weekend. How that changes the dynamics of our projections is it's uncertain, and we know that the, the State Department is doing all it can to recover from what happened over the weekend, and maybe that would, a week or two from now, we may have a clearer picture. But 
for those that have come in, they have come into Fort Lee in Virginia. They've been processed. They've spent 10 days being processed. When they arrive here, for those that have arrived, they usually would, would go, we, we ensure that they go through a 10-day quarantine period mm -hmm. because of the circumstances with sure. COVID, and most of them have not had access to vaccination. So we're working as well with local partners to make sure they also get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Our plan is um, basically identifying, looking ahead. Now we, at the International Institute, we just hired a housing specialist to be able to ramp up capacity. We also have, a, have hired a community sponsorship coordinator because we cannot do this alone. We need the support of the community to be right. able to do, to do this. So we're building capacity internally. We're also really working with our community stakeholders to ensure that we have the support. We're thrilled to have the support of the mayor and the county executive's offices. Thrilled to have bipartisan support. Right. Let me put it that, that Senator Blount's office has really been very helpful in this process because it's important for people to see this as a community effort and not just the effort of the International Institute. Absolutely. We are facilitators in the process, but at the end of the day, it's for this community, right? The reason the International Institute exists is really to make the path smooth for those who come here so that we can all work towards being more inclusive mm -hmm. as a society. So we try to help those who make it here to get the resources and tools necessary for them to be active and productive in society. Okay. And we'll probably get into a, a, a couple more specifics, but you're not alone. Someone who comes by themselves, if there's a family or a, or a couple, that's one thing. But if you're by yourself, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's reassuring for them to know that they're, they're not they're alone. They're not alone. Yet you haven't, you have not just this. Philosophically, is really important for this community to understand that how in, in Africa there's a saying that a child that is not received in the village will one day burn down the village for the village to feel its warmth, right? That's an African saying. But the idea of that saying is that anyone who makes it into our village is as welcome as every other person in the village. And, and that should be the idea of how a community... Yeah, That sounds good. We're talking to Ari Obenson. He's president and CEO of the International Institute of St. Louis, and they provide resettlement and integration services for immigrants. And we all know about the influx of immigrants that will be coming from Afghanistan. I believe St. Louis is one of 19 cities that has been designated to receive immigrants. And sure. I'm guessing that happens because we've done that before. Absolutely. We're talking to Ari Obenson. He's president and CEO of the International Institute of St. Louis. They provide resettlement and integration services for immigrants as they come into the United States, Missouri, and the St. Louis area. He is a Cameroon native and actually became a citizen here in 2009. He holds a Master of Law degree from Washington University and authored the recently published book, Bridging the Opportunity Gap. We haven't talked about that. What, what is that book about, Ari? Oh, the, the book Bridging the Opportunity Gap really is, it's a way for me to capture my experiences in the last 17 years working in the development of an organization. It tells stories of my experience in leadership and really focuses on, on this notion 
that the, our mindset is really what makes us achieve. So bridging the opportunity gap is the gap between where an organization is and the potential of where the organization could be. And all of that largely depends on the mindset that we have. And that mindset is that organizations or individuals that focus on their challenges become defined by their challenges, while those that focus on their opportunities are defined by their opportunities. Challenges is the status quo. Opportunities is where growth lies. That's very interesting. And organizations, as I've been involved in them, and they seem to, my philosophy on that is they are a living organism. They breathe, they eat, they sleep, they cry, they laugh. And to come at it from that vantage point that they either are status quo or challenging going out and seeking new things that's there's a you have to maintain some certain things but then also reach out oh yeah absolutely i, I always say that one something that I, i've read a lot of his books is jim collins and one of the things that i picked up is great organizations always preserve the core mm-hmm. but always stimulate progress right they have to be able to do both right preserve the core and stimulate progress which are the reasons why organizations go through a mission statement or a yes. vision statement, and what are the values that we have, because that becomes your, your core. Your core, yes. Right, right. Yes. That's what that holds you together. But you have to always be looking at new opportunities mm-hmm. for you to stay relevant, for you to be have a, a model that is sustainable. Now you, So let's transition that to the International Institute of St. Louis. What are your goals that you see short-term and long-term that you would like to see the International Institute implement or change or progress to, et cetera, like that? Yeah. So I'll start by saying the International Institute has done amazing work for this community for the last 100 years. And we may look at the St. Louis community and think that it's not inclusive enough, but it's hard to imagine where it would be without an organization like the International Institute. So where we are is as a result of the work that the International Institute has done. And if you go 100 years, the different waves of immigrants that came here, whether it's from Europe, from Asia, they have all gone through the International Institute in in one way or the other, and that has enabled them to really become part of this society. However, we must recognize that what obtained in the last, even in the last five years or in the last 10 years, is very different from what would obtain in the next five to ten years because things are changing around us so rapidly. America in itself as a country is at the crossroads now of what kind of country do we want. I I see the International Institute not just playing a role for the International Institute and the people that we serve. I see the International Institute playing a role for the wider community. So what, what we are currently working on is working with this community to develop a vision of inclusion. What is the vision of this community? Where do we want to be? And to paint a picture of what that future looks like and determine how the International Institute plays a role in getting this community to that future. 
So in the short term, we're currently in the process of developing a strategic plan for the International Institute, and I call it the Communities Plan, right? Because mm -hmm. on what organizations would typically do, you identify your board members or your members who come together and develop a strategy for the organization. What we have done may be crazy, but I think that is we're living in different times. We have built a committee made up of community stakeholders. Yes, some of it is our staff, some of it is our board members, but we have a wide range of people from businesses, from other organizations that are helping us develop our strategic plan because that becomes a community plan. That's right. a plan that is developed from the perspective of the community. And then as an organization, we're going to determine how we play our role in ensuring that that plan is implemented and who we need besides our organization to ensure that the plan is implemented. And by doing that, we are no longer just looking, thinking about the survival of the institute. Mm -hmm. We're thinking about the impact that we are going to have as a community with our work. And, and that's how we're going to hold ourselves accountable. It's not whether we keep the lights on at the institute, but are we really working towards building a more inclusive St. Louis with the work that we do at the International Institute? So that's what we're looking at in the short term. In the long term, I think organizations like the International Institute, we, are, we survive or we've been here for 100 years because the community has stood. We have always asked the community for support and the community has stood with us. One thing that I would like to see in the long term is not discounting the support from the community or the grants that we get from the federal government, but try to build something that is sustainable financially for the International mm -hmm. Institute. And the examples abound. Could there, we have a huge campus, which the International Institute is their way that we could make that economically viable to support our work. We're talking about housing and we're talking about affordable housing and mm -hmm. immigrants coming into the area. Is there a way that we could develop a model around that where we're not always negotiating with landlords when whilst we have people on flights coming, but maybe have transitional housing where we can actually run 100 units of transitional housing right. in the city that, that creates, in that way, we're not only providing housing, but we're also creating employment. We're also um, at bringing some vibrancy to the area, to the region. So those are things that I would like to see the Institute do in the long term. But I also would like to have a stakeholder involvement in the Institute, where probably because I come from this membership background, but I think that I, the Institute will serve the community by developing programming that's not designed just for the clients that we serve, but for the wider community as a whole. And those programs will turn around just understanding multiculturalism, mm -hmm. having people get exposure to, say, screening movies from Afghanistan produced by Afghanis, so that we are able to understand that culture because we have neighbors who are culturally from that area. And in doing so, maybe develop some kind of sustainable financial model where if my school or my company has a subscription or membership with the International Institute, we have access to such programs or even simulations and things like that. Have you tried that out with some 
groups or businesses in St. Louis already on a smaller basis? We're currently doing some, we're doing some cultural competency mm-hmm. training programs already. We have not just taken it to the scale that we envisage that we're right. going to get it. And I noticed I got this email from you all that, uh, and this is the pop-up dinner. Yes. Which is a great opportunity to learn about a culture through yeah. food. And food, everybody loves food. Yeah. And I love food. And it's there's one next Wednesday. Next Wednesday. And it's a pickup thing, but you have to order by Monday at 6 p.m., and this is an international uh, pop-up dinner. It's a Syrian dinner. Syrian, And yeah. uh, you can go to the website and, and check that out. It's uh, There's some chicken, there's salad, main dish, dessert. There's a vegetarian option. And But it's a great opportunity to understand a little bit. Is that when the pickups there, are, do people have an opportunity to communicate or talk a little? It used to be... A sit-down dinner? It, it used to be before the... All of this has... The pandemic has made things... Right. Even when we were planning this all through, we were envisaging that we would have entertainment from the specific countries gotcha. there. But this has been challenging with the, with the pandemic. So yes. for now, it's just... It's, primarily just picking up. When all of this will be done and and gone, if we ever put this pandemic behind us, is really enabling a cultural exchange rather than just picking up a meal. Yes. And, and so people can learn a lot more about their neighbors, about the people who live here, because sometimes you could be oblivious of the so many cultures yes. that live next door to us. Yes. And just as a reminder to listeners, the Festival of Nations grand finale is going to be August 28th. That's from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. at Nine Mile Garden in Afton. You can go to festivalofnationsstl.com for more information. Ari, what are I'm going to mention a success story because last night I talked with a gentleman who I've become very acquainted with. Uh, He works in the service industry as a server in a restaurant. He's excellent. He knows his craft very well. He loves it. And he's from Bosnia. He was actually uh, in the Bosnian military. And I said to him, we started talking a little bit about when did you come over? And he said, when he did. And I said, did you go through the International Institute of St. Louis? He said, yes, I did. And I think back of all the Bosnian immigrants who came over to the states that we have one of the largest Bosnian communities, I think, in the United States of America, right here in St. Louis, yeah. living down in South City area. And this whole influx of immigrants from Afghanistan can be a very similar kinds of things. Now, he is a success story to me because I love him dearly. He's got a great attitude, and he really works hard. Matter of fact, he was comparing when he went back home to Bosnia and talking to some of his friends and relatives and how they live and the difference of cultures like we've had a conversation about. But what are some other success stories that that you can relate for listeners at this time? Other than yourself. Yeah, (laughs) I I know that there's there's a lot of success stories, but one that really touched me when I started out at the International Institute was that I was having to deal in the transition, having to understand our banking, our financing. And we had a mortgage and a building that was financed by Midwest Bank Center. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to reach out to the bank to talk about the mortgage and just understand that. And it was interesting that I, the number that I was given, I called, 
And I asked some questions. After our conversation, she said to me in a very reassuring manner that, you know, anything about the International Institute that is in my hands is in good hands. And I, and then I asked her why. She said, because you don't know how much the International Institute made a difference in my life when we came here from Bosnia with nothing. And here I am, vice president at the bank. Wow. And so rest assured, we will make sure that everything you need is taken care of. So that's one case. I also, I run into people every day who say, when we got here, we were helped by the International Institute. We have a board member who was from Bosnia, originally from Bosnia, and came here at the age of 16. Mm. And he, yesterday at the press conference, told the incredible story of his journey to America and how, the in, because of the help of the International Institute, he was able to go ahead and get his education and become a partner in an architecture of wow. here in the city. And he ended up his story by saying, when you think about refugee and you think about immigrant, those are labels. Behind those labels is my story, that right. I came here with nothing, and I'm able to play my part in the development of this community. And those are the, the amazing stories that you hear, that tomorrow some of the people that we're going to be picking up at the airport are going to be actually doing things in this community that are transformational right. for the community. And I know that as human beings, we tend to see what is wrong and worry about. It's normal, it's human that we see things from these lenses of the challenges. Imagine where are the resources that are going to be coming to address, to take care of these people who are coming. Can we put those resources somewhere else? But it's a down payment and investment into the future of this community. I know another gentleman called Jeffrey. He, he runs an organization called Vitendo for Africa. And, and he came here and went to the International Institute as well and, and saw the work that the International Institute has been doing and, and basically developed an organization mm -hmm. that helps African immigrants make the most of the opportunities that the International Institute wow. provides. And has done very well in doing that. It's even helping create job opportunities for people here. So there's lots of stories all over the place of how people have become, and not just successful as individuals because success is relative, but their contribution to the wider community Correct. is probably what we would assess as the impact of immigrants coming here. Speak from your heart to the greater community of St. Louis about what you're doing and what you need from them and what it means for immigrants to be a part of the greater community. Yeah. So two things I want to say at this time. The one, I know that this is a sensational moment and there is a lot of focus on the arrivals from Afghanistan. There are also other arrivals. There are also refugees from other parts of the world that keep coming at the same time. Whether they are from Afghanistan or not from Afghanistan, we treat them the same. We ensure, we, we see everybody coming as a human being. My experience, having had the opportunity to travel around the world and meet people wherever they are in their local settings, is that 
as human beings, we all have three things that are common to us. The first is that we have the same needs. We have the same needs, food, shelter, water. We have the same wants. We all want to grow. We all want to be valuable in society. We want to protect our families. We, and, and then we have the same fears. We all fear what we don't know. So on the one hand, knowing these three things, uh, that's how I see everybody that, that is coming to St. Louis, is how do we address those three things for them. And at the same time, to the wider community as well, how do we address all those all of these three things? It has been proven, there has been studies upon studies that have said that immigrants bring vibrancy to, to the community. And that vibrancy is not only economical, it's cultural, enriches us being able to have diversity amongst us. And so these people coming to St. Louis are bringing tremendous value to add on our, to add to this community. Right. They're not taking anything out of it. They're actually adding a lot of value. They're bringing their culture, they're bringing their skill sets, and all of those things. Our responsibility as a community is to determine how we welcome them and how we give them an opportunity to display or to achieve their greatest potential, which would just add value to all of us. And we are doing that. We are facilitators at the International Institute, and we have identified the pain points, those fears that anybody has when they come to, to a, a new environment and we're providing that support. But we cannot do it alone. We need the community. We're only as strong as, we're only as welcoming as the community around us. And what does this mean for individuals? It means as an individual, you too can be welcoming. You too can embrace the next person who is here. That's one role that you can play. You could volunteer your time to take somebody for a medical appointment, take them grocery shopping, take them to the park. Just little things that can be done to welcome people to your home. You could, so we would have opportunities for volunteers to give us an hour of your time a week. There are people who are, who are doing that and we're truly grateful. We're in need of financial resources to be able to cope with the growing need that we anticipate is coming as well. So we have really appreciated the support that the community has given to us in the last month since this whole conversation started. We needed a truck. The community within two weeks raised over uh, close to $25,000 for us to buy a box truck. Wow. And that truck is really going to be important because as people arrive, we have to move furniture and mm -hmm. all of that. And we don't want all the money to go to renting trucks to transport. But 
we need a lot of resource just buying sanitary supplies to put mm-hmm. in these homes mm-hmm. just a lot of things we you know we don't provide used mattresses so we have to buy new mattresses mm-hmm. to put in this home so there is a huge financial need that you can volunteer you can donate you could also donate equipment utensils furniture all of those things are needed to put in the homes and then obviously expertise Right, We have people who have volunteered to be English language teachers. That kind of expertise, social workers, are going to be needed, mindful of everything that is going on in the world, especially in the case of Afghanistan, where people could be traumatized in the process. So those are some of the ways in which people can help. We're building capacity for in our workforce, and in the labor market being what it is now, it's actually challenging even to find people. Again, even just looking at our website and sharing those job opportunities that we're offering, I think we're looking to hire about six, seven people for us to be able to cope with what we anticipate is going to be a wave in arrivals here. So those are some ways in which the community can be helpful. I just want to say sometimes, yesterday I got a call where where somebody had reached out and and I made sure that I returned that call asking for clarification about are these people coming here, have they been vetted, you know, all of that. And, And what I would like to say, and if there's anybody there who has concerns, we just shared some success stories of right. people who have come here and been successful. I just appeal to people, to, especially in the case of the Afghans, these are people who put their life on the lines for Americans, for our men and women in uniform. If you listen to the veterans talk about these Afghans, they're their brothers and their sisters. They saved their lives. And what we're trying to do here. It's just, it's payback. It's payback. But even beyond that, these are human beings, right, that that, that deserve um, to be treated, deserve the dignity of human beings. And our job is providing that dignity for them. And whilst we at the International Institute do that, I keep saying that we're only as good as the community that stands with us. I'm writing this down. Provide <laughs> dignity. You're not alone. Absolutely. Think about, and I would say this to the community also, the people who are listening, if you were an immigrant to another foreign country, what things would you need? How would you want to be received when you went there? Would you want to be welcomed with open arms? Would you want to be shunned? What kind of transitions would you need to make your your life easier to help you accommodate and understand the, the current culture and and how you could acclimate to a new culture what kinds of things would you need we don't do that in the united states enough and what you are doing down at the international institute uh, of st louis is incredible thank you and i want to applaud you and the staff and all the volunteers yeah for the things that you're doing. Yeah, it's a village. I've been fascinated by the outpour of support, an incredible team at the International Institute that is has a wealth of experience in, in, in this work. Board of Directors under mm-hmm. the leadership of Kara Rindam that has really out there trying to, to create the opportunities to engage the private and public sector. 
we have been amazed at the opportunities that employers have been reaching out to us. That's super. Saying, I want to employ 10, 5, 15 of these people. I would provide housing. I would provide wow. whatever it takes for them. It's amazing how the community is. And whilst we always, sometimes always think about the challenges, I would say that it's the, the, there is a vibrant community that is ready and willing to welcome our new neighbors. You can go to iistl.org, iistl.org. Ari Obenson, thank you for coming on St. Louis in Tune today. We greatly appreciate it, and what a wonderful message that you provided for our community in the metropolitan St. Louis area. It's my pleasure and honor to be here. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you, sir. We are glad you decided to listen to this episode of St. Louis in Tune. We know there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and we are glad that you have chosen to listen to us. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Stricker.